Once again, dear church family, we continue with our Bible study series in the life of Joseph. We're now on our 13th study, if you're counting. In our last study in Genesis 44, 1 through 17, we saw Joseph's final testing of his brethren, in particular with that silver cup he uh, put in Benjamin's bag, didn't he? Sneakily (laughs) put in Benjamin's bag, but it was for all, it was for a divine purpose, wasn't it? We saw how Joseph, under the mighty hand of God, brought the whole covenant family into full and lasting repentance. And in the remaining verses of this chapter, verses 18 through to the end, we see how true repentance never, ever walks away from God. We see that so clearly. True and full and free, lasting repentance, it never ever walks away from God. If truly forsaken, it draws nigh to the greater Joseph, to Christ. A true turning from sin to God does not run away anymore. It does not uh, turn anymore to, to the world to sin. It draws near to the greater Joseph, to Christ. And this is exactly what we see here with Judah and Judah's brethren in this account, starting from verse 18, which is this wonderful plea here from Judah. It's one of the most striking in the whole of Scripture. And so it says in verse 18, Then Judah came near unto him, that's Joseph, whose name was Zaphpamaniah, and said, O my Lord, Let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. And so we see here the great humility that that Judah is coming now to Joseph. And the reverence that he shows here is very, very telling to his heart's condition to the great change that the Lord has wrought in his heart. Uh, Before he was separating himself from his father and from his brethren, Uh, he wanted to get as far away from his father and his brethren, but now he's drawing nigh, as it were, to the greater Joseph. And he comes full of humility and reverence. He draws nigh to, uh, to Joseph. And it's very telling of how any poor wretch, as it were, when there's a true grace of God, draws nigh to the greater Joseph in need of mercy and in grace. There is an honest, there is an honest accounting here of his situation now. No more lies, no more running, as it were, from God. An honest accounting, an honest drawing nigh, as it were, to to Joseph. And this would be the second time The second time that Judah steps forward as a surety, a substitute for Benjamin, the second time. And for the remainder of this chapter, Judah makes a wonderful, tender, heartfelt, passionate plea to become a substitute, a surety for Benjamin's life, for his his supposed crime. He didn't even commit the crime, but his heart is so full of love now for Benjamin, for his father, and to do that which is right now, that he's willing to become a surety, a substitute. Here is the very last test we see 
the very, very last test of substitution. Substitution. A life for a life. And it is a real mark of a true believer when someone is willing to give up their life. That's what Christ demands of us. Our life. Our, our everything. Our all. Our, our strength. Our soul. Our mind. Our heart. Our, our, our all. Forsake this world's sin. A life for a life. Complete substitution. Our wretched lives to, to become a servant of the Most High God. It's no, it's, no, it's no question, is it? And this is what we see here with Judah. Uh, uh, the final test of substitution. A life for a life. Judah's plea, friends, is one of the most striking and wonderful in the whole of Scripture. The similarities here of Judah to that of any poor, wretched sinner when they draw close to Christ is remarkable. Very similar, um, very similar similarities between Judah's plea to Joseph and how any poor, wretched sinner, uh, any of us, how we draw near to Christ in terms of salvation. In verse 25, Judah draws near to Joseph and he says, uh, once, once again, uh, uh, he says in verse uh, 18, sorry, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. And so, friends, a genuine, a genuine plea here, a genuine plea to the Lord, the similarities between Judah's plea to Joseph and that of any poor wretch to the greater Joseph Christ, it firstly shows itself to be a humble plea, a humble plea, a humble petition. We see that here, O oh my Lord, full of reverence, full of one's standing and position, O oh my Lord, let thy servant. And the way in which he speaks to Joseph is full of his, his standing. He is utterly at the mercy of Joseph now. He is, he is being respectful, not like he was previously, in separating himself to a man, a, a pagan man essentially, from his father, getting as far away from those influences. Now, really, he is full of respect, full of uh, his standing before God. And so a genuine plea to the Lord shows itself, firstly, to be a humble petition. Secondly, it shows itself to be an intimate a plea, an intimate plea. He says, O oh my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. In my Lord's ears. This, dear friends, is, has the, the hallmarks, really, of, of the, the, a genuine plea, a genuine uh, petition here. It's, there's an, an intimacy there. And there's an intimacy. He, he's drawing nigh now to Joseph. As a poor sinner draws nigh to the, to the greater Joseph. They, they come reverently. They come understanding their position. As, as it were, who they are. Um, and they come here intimately. Knowing that it's only, only Christ, the greater Joseph. It's only Christ that can hear them. And ultimately have mercy upon them. It's intimate. It's, it's an intimacy there. And friends, a genuine plea to the Lord also shows itself thirdly to acknowledge, to acknowledge the Lord's dominion. 
to acknowledge the Lord's majesty and dominion. And that's what we see again with Joseph, with Judy here to Joseph. He says, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servants, for thou art even as Pharaoh. He understands that this person has absolute power over me, absolute rule and dominion over me, as it were. I I am, am utterly at his mercy. He can, do, he can do with me what he pleases. For thou art even as Pharaoh. So he acknowledges the, the Lord's, uh, he acknowledges Judah, he acknowledges Joseph's dominion here. And this is true of any poor wretch when they come to the greater Joseph Christ. They come reverently, they come understanding their position, they come intimately, and they also come understanding the greater Joseph Christ's majesty and dominion, that he is sovereign, he is in control over them. The power is in his hands. And so this is what we see with this genuine plea. Fourthly, friends, a genuine plea to the Lord shows itself fourthly to be an intercessory prayer, an intercessory prayer concerning others. And the more we, are, we mature in the faith uh, and in the knowledge of Christ and in our prayer lives, the more our prayers become not only about ourselves, but they become more so also about other people. They become intercessory prayers. His heart now is so, his heart now so, uh, so concerned now for his father and for, for Benjamin. Before, he had no problem separating himself from his holy father, Jacob. He couldn't wait to get away from Jacob and from the influences of Jacob and separating himself and, and in the wickedness that he committed with Tamar. He had no problem with that. But now, you see, he, his heart is so full of love for his father and for to do that which is right and for his, his brethren and for Benjamin. And so, fourthly, a, a true, genuine plea to the Lord. We see these similarities. Judas' uh, plea here, his, his prayer here, as it were, to Joseph. The same is true with any, with any sinner to the greater Joseph Christ. It's an intercessory prayer. It's, it's reverent. It's intimate. It's full of one standing and position before the Lord God. It's, it, it has in mind the Lord's dominion and power and majesty. It's intercessory. It prays is a genuine prayer praise for others. And fifthly, friends, a genuine plea to the Lord shows itself at times to be substitutionary. Substitutionary. Judah says in verse 32, For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father. Judah now was willing to suffer and to lay down his life for Benjamin. The second time that he's mentioned that. He, he, he is willing now to go into the pit and, and into the prison of suffering. He's willing to, be, to become a substitute now. He's willing to become a bondman now. Jude, Judah was willing really to, 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 to give up his life. Remember, he had children. He was willing to give it all up. And friends, is this true of us at times? Are we willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel? You know, it, 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 uh, we live in such days now where 
You see, we see all around us the celebrity evangelism, the celebrity, the celebrity Christianity. The, the gospel, the gospel is not a, the gospel is not a, a glamorous thing. It's not a glamorous thing. We we will suffer much. It's a joyous thing. Don't, it's a glorious thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a it's a wonderful thing, but it's not a glamorous thing. It's not a glamorous thing. You know, it's sad to say much of the Christianity now is about this glamour. This glamour. Conferences and all, the, all these things. Very few people are going to the, the poor estates, preaching to the poor, knocking on doors, preaching the gospel, contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, telling people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. It's not a glamorous thing. We have Sometimes we have to get into the prison. We have to suffer for our faith. And it's, it's being turned completely upside down. I think that's one of the biggest problems with the Christianity in the West. We want this glamour. Uh, and anyone, I'd I'd say anyone that's going into the ministry, that don't don't you you have to give up your life for the ministry. It's not a glamorous thing. It's a it's often it's hard. There's many tears involved in it. Um, we see this with Judah, the substitutionary prayer. Willing to give up everything for the Lord. Is this true of us? I know we can all fail the Lord. And we, at times we've let the Lord down. But this is true. Are, are, are we all in, as it were? Holding nothing back. All in. All in for the Lord. We're not after glamour. We're not after what people will say of us. We just want to serve the Lord. And live exclusively for him. Are we willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel? And don't take my word for it. The Lord Jesus said himself in Matthew 8.35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. For the Gospels. It's not a glamorous thing. It's not what we're being told with all this, all the media and the conferences. It, it, it is hard work. It's a life for a life. Um, it's a glorious thing. There's much joy to be had. But it's, it's not what we're being told in most outlets now. Friends, a genuine plea to the Lord sixthly shows itself to pour out one's heart to the greater Joseph with specifics. With specifics. We see, we see this with Judah's plea, do we not? Let's not be vague in our, in our prayer life. We can all be guilty of this, especially when we're tired or we have many pressures facing, facing us. But we see here with Joseph, he catalogues, doesn't he? He catalogues all the events. He goes through all the things that he's gone through. He's very specific about his father's heart, his father's condition, about what he's been told previously. And you know, we could do exactly the same with God. We can go when we have all these problems and trials happening. We can go, well, this person, this person, all these things are happening. And you can literally just pour out your heart. And even at times, you can even have a respectful complaint. I would say a a pious, respectful complaint. Lord, I've been laboring for this many years. And I'm pleading with you to save souls. Oh, encourage thy servants, encourage thy people. Be specific with your with your prayers. We can all we can all um, we can all fall into the trap of being vague. Pour out all your burdens, all your burdens 
in your home, in your family, corporately as a, as a church, and, and how that outpours to society as well. Pour it all out. Be, be specific. There's, there was no one in the whole earth who could relate to, to Judah's plea than Joseph. If you think about it, Joseph went through the same things. Joseph was undergo- Joseph went through the same things. Friends, is this not true of our Saviour, the greater Joseph, who, who in all points is tempted as we are, but yet without sin. Christ knows what we're going through. He, he, he sometimes knows the, 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 the disappointments that we have. He sometimes knows the fears we, and the concerns we have for the future. The, 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 the concerns we have for loved ones and friends. And, and he knows all these things. So there's no one in this whole earth, friends, who knows more of what's going on than the Lord God. And let us take it to him in prayer. With this, We see this wonderful pattern here with Judah's plea. Friends, in today's narrative, we also learn from Judah's plea that Joseph discovers that his father was led to believe that, he was, he was, that Joseph was dead, verse 20. Judah relays the fact that Jacob was living in this broken-hearted condition. Imagine that. 20 years, over 20 years, thinking that your son, your son, the, the one who was truly, the, the one who really was a believer and, and showed it, that he had been torn to pieces and, and he was living in this broken-hearted condition. And we know from our previous studies that his faith, Jacob's faith, revived somewhat. But, but, but Jacob was in this living in this, this broken-hearted condition and Judah now is pleading with Joseph. In essence, he's saying, I cannot allow my father to die now. I, I must bring Benjamin back. My, the, the lad is bound up in the life of, of my father. He's already lost one of the sons of, of, of their mother. I don't want him to lose another one. You can see here the, the, the grace and mercy of God in Judah. What a, what a remarkable change. What a testimony to, to God's grace, how Judah has so changed, how God has so broken through Judah's heart. He was, he was such a rebel sinner. He was so depraved. And now he, he, he's so concerned for his father. He's so wanting to honour his father. Not to separate himself from his father. Not to, 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 to get as far away from his father. He wants to honour his father now. It's such a wonderful testimony to God's grace. And you see, Joseph is hearing all these, these wonderful pleas. Uh, he's hearing all these wonderful pleas from Judah. And, and, and Joseph cannot allow his father to die. Judah, friends, passes the final test of substitution with flying colours. He is willing to be sold as a bondservant. He is willing to be separated from his father, in whom he now loves <coughs> He is now willing to go down into the pit of affliction and suffering. He's willing to undergo all those things now. And unbeknown to Judah, his tender-hearted plea was literally tugging at the heartstrings of Joseph. Joseph is hearing all these marks of grace. Look at how reverent he is. Look how full of intercessory prayer, substitutionary prayer. Look, look, look how intimate his prayers are, his petitions are. He's hearing all these things and he sees here this is a genuine work of saving grace in his heart with not only Judah but with his whole brethren, the whole covenant and family 
Their sin has been discovered and they are all being brought to full and lasting repentance. How we pray this for our family, all of our family and all of our friends. God can do it. Friends, is the same not true of the greater Joseph? How can the Lord God not hear such an honest, humble and desperate plea? When we, when we pray like this, when we, when we literally pour our hearts out before the Lord, how will he not be moved to compassion and mercy to those who come to him in such a way? A life for a life. My life, Lord, it's in your hands. And we, we, we pour out our hearts before the Lord. How will he not? With all those tears stored in his bottle, how will he not hear our prayers? He proves us in these things, does he not? Joseph cannot restrain himself anymore. His heart is so full of love for his father and for his brethren. He is so convinced now that there has been a work of grace, saving grace in their hearts, and that Benjamin's life is safe and his father's life is safe. He wanted to make sure of that, that they're they're safe now. And he is absolutely convinced. And in Genesis 45, 1 through 8, Joseph reveals himself to his brethren. It's such a wonderful picture here, isn't it? Verses 1 and 2 says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before them, them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And verse 2, And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. Well, dear church family, surely we have here a beautiful picture of how the greater Joseph, Christ, reveals himself only to his people, only to those who truly draw nigh to Christ in true repentance and faith. And he reveals himself. He causes everyone to go out. All the Egyptians go out. I'm revealing myself to only my people. It's almost like communion, isn't it? God reveals himself in a very intimate, special, sanctifying way. And he speaks to us one to one. Speaks to us. Blesses us. This is exactly the same. Joseph is revealing himself. He tells the the Egyptians to go out whilst he makes himself known. That's how Christ reveals himself. It's a beautiful picture here. And also we have a picture here in verse 2. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. We have a beautiful picture also of how in due time the gospel would be known, of course, to the Gentiles, wouldn't it? They heard. The, The Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. They heard Joseph weeping. They, they, they heard these things. It's almost prophetic in, in, in the fact that, that the God reveals himself to his people, those who are, are Israelites indeed, but also to the, the, the gospel to the Gentiles as well. It's prophetic. It is Christ, dear friends, who stirs and leads poor sinners unto himself. A poor sinner comes with all their sin and burdens to the greater Joseph, like Judah did. They draw nigh unto God for mercy, and God draws nigh unto them. And those who truly draw nigh unto God, forsaking the things of this world and their sin, and they truly draw nigh unto God, God is faithful, dear friends, to save them through his son, the greater Joseph. God reveals himself only to his his people, 
<clears throat> and from all different walks of life, real confession is made. There's no more overlooking of sin any, anymore. A true heart of substitution is set. <clears throat> and in verse 3, we're told that Joseph said unto his brethren, and you can just imagine that scene. Oh, to be a fly on the wall, just to, 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 to be in that room, uh, as it were, <clears throat> to be a spider in the king's palace to see to see that I am Joseph I am Joseph verse 3 45 doth my father yet live and his brethren could not answer him for they were troubled at his at his presence they looked upon him who, who they, whom they afflicted they looked upon the person who they mistreated and wickedly they look, look wickedly mistreated and you know <clears throat> They need not say anything. No more excuses anymore. Their silence spoke volumes, didn't it? Their, their silence spoke at all. Friends, my, I, I say my feeble words cannot adequately relay the profoundness and the beauty of such words. They're so perfectly put here. Any, any attempt to expound them or explain them, I, I do injustice because they just speak for themselves. When Christ reveals himself to any guilty poor sinner who expects to perish and go to hell. As Joseph's brethren did, and yet mercy is given. It's troubling, isn't it? It's troubling. That they were troubled at his presence. He, he was bringing them in, revealing himself to them. This was troubling. You mean it was, it was my, and the same is true with any wretched sinner. You mean it was my sin that put Christ on the cross and not the Jews? Yes. It wasn't the Jews that put, put, put Christ on the cross. It was my sin. It's my sin that made him go into the pit of suffering, that, that, that made him to, to, to wear that crown, to, to endure the wrath of God for my sin. It was me. It was my sin, it was my rebellion, it was my vileness that made him go, undergo all that affliction, all that suffering. It was for me. Friends, when God reveals himself to us through his son, it really has a twofold effect. It has a twofold effect when God reveals himself to any poor wretched sinner through, through his son. And sometimes these effects are simul simultaneously, they happen together. The first effect is, is that we begin to see our sin and our depravity from a heavenly perspective. And this is exactly what Jude, Judah and his brethren were started to see. And it was very troubling. It was very troubling. They, they were troubled at his presence because they saw the one in whom... In whom they afflicted. They saw him and it troubled them. And this is true of any poor wretched sinner. When, when Christ shows us our sin and at the same time he shows us his great love and condescension and mercy to us, it has a twofold effect. It troubles us. It troubles us that we are so wretched and full of sin and vile. But also, if we were left in there, it would. It would, be, it would be too much. But he doesn't leave us there because the other effect, and we see this again, this, these are two effects with many. We think of the Apostle Paul and how Christ revealed himself to him. 
you're, you're kicking against the pricks of conscience. Uh, the, 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 the pricks, uh, Paul, why are you persecuting my people? Paul thought he was a, he was a, a worshipper of God. But you see, you have to, God, Paul was given this heavenly perspective. And it's the same as happening here. That's the first effect. The second effect is that we begin to see more clearly the one who has always loved us. The one who has always set his love upon us. You see, friends, the law, when God reveals himself through his son, the law becomes silent then. It becomes silent. The devil becomes silent. The world becomes silent. Our sin becomes real and, and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, becomes very real. It troubles us, but Christ and the Holy Spirit comforts us. And we, in verses 4 to 8, we see this effect really taking hold, don't we? Verses 4 through 8. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me. We see, we see that. It troubled them. They were troubled. But Joseph then says, come near to me. Come closer to me. I pray you. Look, look at how he's speaking. I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years have the, have the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be, be earring nor harvest. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he had made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of, of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Friends, we see here in these, in these uh, in closing, we see here how Joseph here is such a wonderful picture of Christ. He says, come near to me, I pray you. They're guilty. They have no, no more room to hide, as it were. Come near to me, I pray you. They're, they're, they're shown their sin, as it were, but we see the love, the love here poured out, as it were, the comfort now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. You see, this was God's plan. This was God's, God's sovereign plan. The purpose here was to preserve the seed, the covenant seed of God, the promise of God. The Saviour would come through the line of Judah and through the, the covenanted family. To, to, to preserve life. Not only their life, but many lives. Many lives. And it was to bring the covenant family into Goshan, into Egypt. That's the, that was the purpose. And God sent me before you, verse 7, to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. There's a greater purpose behind this, behind these trials. Let us never forget that. When we're going through trials, there's a greater purpose behind them. And often it is for higher purposes, which we, we often do not fathom at the time. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater, there's, there are souls that will be saved. And this is what we see here. To preserve your posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great 
deliverance. The whole covenant family had been saved. That the seed or the woman continues through the mighty promises of God to conquer, does it, does it not? Nothing can stop the word of God. The promises of God, the covenant of God. So now it was not you that sent me hither. What an acknowledgement. But God. God, you weren't in control of all, all, all that you did. Yes, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. But God allowed me to suffer, to go through all these things for a great higher purpose. It was God. It was God's sovereignty. Finally, brethren, we see in verses 10 through 15, those who Christ saves, he preserves and keeps. And yes, even amidst famines as well. Let me just read verses 10 through through 15. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. The land of Goshen, that Goshen means a land of plenty and comfort. God was going to take them out of their sin, out of all those trials, and he was going to comfort them. He was going to bless them, a land of plenty and comfort. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. We see here Joseph almost acting like a good, like a shepherd, a picture of Christ. I'm going to nourish you. I'm like, almost like a, a good shepherd would nourish his, his, everything that you have. I'm going to bring all your families, your children, your flocks. I'm going to look after you. And we see here that, that truly turning from sin to Christ, dear friends, though we'll be proven in it, no man, no man is the worse off for it, spiritually speaking. No man is the worse off for it. The greater Joseph here, greater Joseph here is the good shepherd. When we come to him, dear friends, we seek first the kingdom of God. We'll, we'll he, no... No, he, he will withhold no, no good thing to us, will he not? It says in verse 12, And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my, my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. The same course is with Christ. Christ reveals himself to us. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and all that ye have seen and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. We see here that, again, so many similarities. Wanting to, to bring, we see here the glory. The glory uh, uh, and honour he wants to give to the father. And the father's uh, glory to the son. There's so many similarities between, jo- between Joseph and Christ, isn't there? He is so Christ-like. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after, after that, his brethren talked with him. Almost a picture, almost like the prodigal son. That the father running out, sees a, sees his, sees a prodigal son from a, a distance and runs out, as it were, and, and falls upon him and kisses him. The same scene here. The prodigal brethren, Joseph's brethren, they are all prodigals. And yet God, through his mercy, showed them their, that they were been in the pigsty, as it were, eating pig's food. 
been in, in that. And he's brought them all back, as it were, brought them to themselves. And he embraces them and comforts them. And it's such a beautiful scene here, isn't it? Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. They talked with him. <laughs> they, they hated talking with him. Oh, thou dreamer. You know, they hated him. But now, you see, they were talking with him. They communion with him. It's a picture, isn't it, of how any poor wretched sinner, how they brought nigh to the greater Joseph Christ, and they commune with God. They pray to him. Such a beautiful picture here. Finally, brethren, I just want to finish with the words of John 17, 24 through 26, Christ's words. Father, I will, this is the Lord Jesus, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me. Be, be with me when I am, sorry, be with me where, where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world have not known me, thee, but I have known thee, and these have, have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And isn't this true of Joseph and his brethren? Uh, how Christ reveals himself to, to his people and then through his people they reveal it and the, and, and the faith is spread from faith to faith as it were and it's all to the glory of God what a, what a promise we have here those the Lord saves he keeps doesn't he and what a, what a wonderful promise Amen, Amen.